I'm Asan, it's Friday, and this is The Friday Show. Another busy week in City World, and we're going to try and look back before looking forward to the huge game against the Red Scouse on Sunday. Joining me on this fine morning, I have firstly, Lloyd Scrag. Morning, Lloyd. Morning, Asan. How you doing, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. Excellent, excellent. Howard Hawking, how are you? Yeah, fine, thanks. Wonderful. Um, look, lads, I want to. I feel as though we have a lot to talk about today, so I'm just going to dive straight in with an opening question for both of you. No jokes, no funnies this morning. Um, Jaden Sancho is in the England squad. Thoughts on this? Before we talk about whether there's something to be said about Foden, let's talk about Sancho. Lloyd, thoughts on him getting into the England squad? It's a big deal. I think it's a really big deal. Um, I think it's a his story, irrespective of the city aspect, I think is a very interesting one. The fact that an English player has gone abroad and to be in the senior England squad at 18 is a really big deal. That doesn't really happen very often, um, particularly for someone to, to play abroad. I think he's the first player to be born after the millennium to be in the England squad as well, which makes everyone feel old because <laughs> um, <laughs> he's got a 2000 birthday apparently. But um, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's, I think hopefully it could trigger some a sort of um, a change and a change of attitude in English players in general that actually, you know, we do have a, a problem in producing and giving uh, regular minutes to our, to our youngsters in this, in this country and that actually Sancho is a success story to have gone away and Obviously, he's not started. Um, I don't think he started a game in the Bundesliga this season, but he's notched five assists off the bench, um, and he started both their Champions League games and provided that assist for their first goal in midweek, which was um, yeah, a really nice little dink through. I think an interesting thing from watching um, some of their games this season is that I always felt when he played with City and we played in the in our youth teams that he was a little bit too greedy. But that's something that's really developed, I think, since he's gone to Dortmund. He's become much more happy to, to lay someone else up. But yeah, I think it's it's big. I think it's really big that obviously he's left us and I, I know me and Steve discussed in quite a lot of detail the everything that enshrouded the, the deal and there was a lot of agent involvement and intermediary involvement and it was all very messy and he turned down the 30 grand and initially said that he wanted to go to London and then ended up in Dortmund. So it was all a bit of a mess but I think fundamentally it's a big thing for England and irrespective it's a it's a big blow for us as well um, to see such a good player in the England squad at 18. But just before I ask Howard what he thinks, um, is Sancho that good? I mean, just uh, what I guess the question that I'm asking is if you look at our squad, you look at Leroy, Raz, Mares, Bernardo, is Sancho that good? Is he a player who, were he at City this season, he'd be getting ahead of any of those players? I, I think he is that good. I think to be. To have done what he's done at 18, I think, shows how good he is. I think, if you think we were having a dis- discussion yesterday. I think if you look at Sane's career path um, and Sane at 18, they were bo- they're both pretty similar in, in the level that they were at. I think when they were 18, Sane had, you know, played that game against City in the uh, in the under 19s and been amazing at like 17, and then had kind of a bit of a breakthrough season off the bench at 18. Um, and I actually think, given what happened last season with with Sanchez and then not getting Sanchez in January as well, weirdly, if Sancho would have stayed, I think he would have played 
And he was the most ready at the beginning of last season out of him, Brahim and Foden. So I think if he had stayed at it, weirdly, he could have actually got the football and the chances that he needed because we were so short a left winger. And um, I think he still potentially would have this season. He'd be ahead of Brahim in my books anyway. How so yeah, I think he is. Um, if you if you look at what, what Lloyd's just said there, um, are you kind of buying the idea that had he stayed, he'd have been able to force his way into the reckoning at City? Uh, probably not, because history shows that it's, it's not that easy. I, the way I look at it, I mean, it's hard to argue he's, you know, he, anything but that he's made the right decision here. He's off, I don't know what went on. Obviously, said Lloyd and Steve discussed it, and obviously Steve probably knows a lot more about what went on with those negotiations. But what it looks like, it's... It looks like he never wanted, you know, he was determined to go. So I'm sure we tried to assure him that he'd get his chance, that he'd be eased into the first team. But it seems like he had his mind set on leaving, which is a shame because if him and Foden had been coming through this season, then we'd be, you know, that team would be set up. I mean, it's, I mean, it's probably set up for a decade. How mad would that be? Yeah, but yeah. yeah it's probably set up How for a decade anyway. But, you know, just to have another young player for that skill. I look at it like it's one of those things. We got him off Watford. Dortmund got it. You know, players just move mm. on. It's all the time. We've probably taken someone off Barcelona who's probably might be just as good. It's the way the world works. He wanted to go and there's nothing we could do about it. Would he have come in? I mean, this is a wonderful piece of hindsight that I could possibly have said at the time. But you look at, if he really, if we knew we were going to develop this quickly, then you know, was Mares necessary? Or someone well, like, I mean, that's. I know that's wonderful way, that's hindsight. Question. And uh, Mares will be. No, no, no. But no, he'll, be, he'll be great for us. But I'm just saying, you know, that that's the spot really. We don't buy. We don't buy another attacking midfield. Then he could have eased his way into the team a lot easier. So that's kind of my question then. And I'll, I'll throw it open to both of you. Howard, you can start. Um, can we be critical of City and Guardiola and Begaristein in terms of. I mean, look, the reality is that they pursue Sanchez last summer desperately, don't mm. get him and still win the league with 100 points, yeah? They pursue Mares in January, don't get him, still win the league with 100 points. Was it really necessary to go and buy another, what you what I would consider to be, you know, experienced, uh, developed, ready, world-class play? Was that really necessary with what we had in the squad already? Isn't that actually, just playing devil's advocate for a minute, isn't that actually really poor to go out and do that when you have a lad of the potential of Sancho, of the quality of Sancho, where he's so in demand that you must already know that if and when you lose him, you're not losing him to Palace or to Watford. He's not going downwards. You're going to lose him to a club with Champions League aspirations at the bare minimum, which is what has gone on and happened. Um Howard, I'll start with you. Like, is that uh, is that something that you could actually because at the time people were saying these things, so this isn't really a it's not really a conversation about hindsight either. I'm 99% sure Lloyd said a year ago there is an argument that we don't need to sign Sanchez. We should give Sancho that opportunity. Well, Lloyd might have said it, but I don't. I didn't see anyone else saying it. So, kudos to Lloyd for <laughs> for being that insightful because I. It's easy to look. I still think there is a hindsight involved here. Everyone expected us to get that wide player and I didn't see many people arguing about the need for us to do so. 
some thought yeah. it should be a striker instead, though. You know, so that was the bigger argument. Well, it, the more the position of who we're going for, and perhaps we need another striker, not another wide player. But I, at the end of the day, I guess yes, you can make that argument. I guess it comes down to what, how quickly we thought. You know, if if we could have persuaded Sancho to stay, I imagine we were seeing it two years away for him breaking into the team. Mm. And maybe it's okay. taken us by surprise. I still think we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves with Sancho. The stats look great, of course, but you know he's he's still a developing player. Just you know, forgetting a few assists doesn't automatically tell us that we should have seen he was going to be an instant hit with us. Oh no, d- he's definitely. Just, you yeah. know, it's gone really well for him, and I, I kind of guess I'm glad for him. And you know that that's happened. I just it's part of it. You know, I've said it a million times. It's it's the immediacy of, <laughs> of modern football that obviously United stand against, according to Gary Neville, but that, res- that results next week and ne- this month are crucial. That there's no, t- I don't, I think there is a problem mm. of developing, pl- giving players a, ch- a chance in the team because if you do that, results, you know, might suffer. And there's just a need to win everything here and now rather okay. than develop uh- players. And it would have been perfect, yeah, if we kept him eased him into the team with Foden and taken any hit that that, you know, if there had been a hit of results whilst that happened. But, you know, that's English football. It's all about results here and now and I do think we suffer for it. Lloyd, do you want to jump in in here? Do you think that City have missed a trick? Uh, It's difficult about whether we've missed a trick because I think the, the contract situation and... The whether Sancho was going on tour was so muddied, and I think City, to be to be fair, did everything that they could. Um, and he was going on that U, on that US tour to to uh, well to, to the US and peppered it completely earmarked him, Brahim and Foden to play regular minutes in all of the games, and it just didn't happen. But I think it's frustrating because we clearly, I think you know, even me and Steve will admit that we've got a problem with bringing through youth players at City. Um, and I think the, the the difficulty is I think anyone that watched Sancho relatively regularly could see at 17 or 16 that we had an elite talent in, in the academy there and he and Foden are the best players that have been in the academy since Sturridge and we haven't had anyone kind of pushing that level um, yeah since since Daniel Sturridge I would say so to obviously lose one is difficult and you know I think that there might be a chance that they'll come back and I think I haven't had this confirmed but I think City may have a first refusal in his contract not a buyback but a first refusal yeah um but yeah it's frust- it's frustrating I think to see any player that you've obviously had in your ranks to then be in the England squad at 18 obviously that's you know that's a disappointment was that sort mm. decision yeah. a bad decision by City do you think is that? Do you think that might have swung his? No, because City said City said you're coming on the tour, and then Pep said you're not going to come on the tour unless you sign the contract because you've got one year left. So here's you, you know, sort out the contract and negotiations. You'll be on the tour. D- didn't happen. Uh, didn't go on tour. Basically, but if we'd still let him on tour, would it possibly have you know won him round during that tour to sign the contract after the tour? That ultimatum has it come? To- Costs. Yeah, maybe. Potentially, yeah. I, I haven't really thought about it like that. Uh, to be honest with you, I think that more than anything else, 
the um, the kind of obvious public pursuit of Sanchez uh, when the squad was kind of stocked in the way that it was stocked. Yeah. It's difficult if you're in <clears throat> if you're in Sancho's position. I think it makes it very difficult if you've got Dortmund going. You will play if you come to us. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very hard for him to then look at the city setup and go. Well, I mean, I've seen a few people say on Twitter he should have backed himself, and it's like, well, it's not really as simple as that, though, is it? Because if the manager's going, well, I'm going to go out and buy a an other player in your position, and I've already got two or three players ahead of you in that position, then he's almost telling you that he doesn't rate you enough to think that you're going to make that breakthrough. And I just, for me, it it was as look, I think that. Ultimately, this will happen because of the, the the pressure at City to win and win now and because of the size and scope of the academy that we've got and the amount of talent that we do tend to sign now. I think Sancho wasn't the first and he won't be the last who will lose out on. I think the only thing that I could maybe turn around and go, I'm a little bit disappointed, is because I think that we maybe it's a position where we had a little bit of wiggle room in and you wonder whether it was really desperately, desperately... If they really wanted to keep him, then maybe they should have ignored the Sanchez thing, almost put it out there. They weren't interested in Sanchez. Try and convince Sancho to sign a new deal, get him to sign that. Basically do what they did with uh, Denea the year before or two years before where they they were like, no, no, we're not signing anybody. We're not signing anybody. Make him sign a new deal and then sign a centre-half. And it's harsh, but... You know, that was maybe the only kind of wiggle room that they had. Um, but from a personal point of view, I'm delighted that he's made the England squad. I hope that he absolutely kills it because, you know, England definitely need more players like him of his talents. Uh, yeah, okay. and this is, a, yeah, this is down to the decision of one man, so it doesn't really tell us anything. I mean, yeah. I mean, and yeah, we ask what how this relates to Foden or, you know, Mason Mount's got into the squad. Foden hasn't, so you could look at this as, you know, that we question is, is you know, should we be keeping Foden loading out? But at the end of the day, it's the decision of one man, Southgate. He could have made a completely different decision. It doesn't really tell us much, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, think I think both have made the right fair. decision. Foden, obviously, is a lifelong City fan. He's getting training around our players. There's never a there's never any thought that he would do what Sancho has done and leave permanently. So they're very different situations for me. They've probably both taken the right path, to be honest. Mm. And I just, I think with, I think with Foden, because he's from Stockport, because he grew up a City fan, I think we find ourselves in an incredibly privileged situation because the lab just isn't going to want to go anywhere. Um, Pep's not going to want him to go anywhere. The club aren't going to want him to go anywhere. He's got all the talent in the world. So they almost feel, you know, it's like the opposite of Sancho. With Sancho, there was obviously a pressure from his side to go, look, I want minutes. I want a a pathway to the first team, all of those things. And it can't just be lip service. It's got to be really obvious to me. Whereas it's almost the opposite with Foden where, you know, we've got loads of centre mids and it wouldn't, well, we're being linked with more centre mids and we're certainly going to go out and sign another centre mid in the next, uh, in the next two transfer windows. And it's not going to make a blind bit of difference to Foden because he's, he's at the club he wants to be at. Um, And I think that he will, I, I, I trust I trust the club to get it right with Phil. That's the most important thing for me. Um, 
All right, let's let's talk about Hoffenheim. I was quite scathing um, in the week, so I'm going to try not to speak. Um, Lloyd, <laughs> how did, how did you feel about um, the selection, the performance, the game? Now that you've had a couple of days to kind of weigh it up, I think maybe Liverpool losing the next night in Napoli kind of took a little bit of my scathingness away. I think I feel a little bit better than I did. How are you feeling about it? Buzzing for Insigne's goal. Um, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> just, flick, just flick the telly over and it was like, Callahan Insigne! <laughs> like, get it. Um, I thought at the time, I thought at the time that the team would be slightly different. Um, I was a bit surprised that Silver played, but, you know, again, with the hindsight hat on, Thank God he did because um, he was crucial to that game. Um, I, I was actually, I was a, not perplexed, but I was a bit surprised by how negative you were afterwards because I thought it was a pretty pretty good performance overall. Mm. And it was one of those where, if you looked at the stats as well, it was weird because Dortmund, uh, Dortmund Hoffenheim felt very much in the game whilst I was watching it and immediately afterwards. And their pressure off the ball was was really good and their structure was really good. They didn't have that many chances and then when you kind of had time to reflect and look back afterwards and you checked the stats, they didn't really have many shots at all and the um, and we had loads. Um, we had some really good chances. I, I mean, I think Aguero had a few that were very close, had that one that shaved the bar, he had that kind of bicycle kick which was really close Um and actually, I was I was pretty encouraged by the performance. I, like I said, I thought the I thought Sterling would probably get a rest. I thought um, Laporte would probably get a rest, but he played left back. Um, yeah, I thought Silva would get a rest, but I was I was encouraged, and I thought not only did we play well, but I thought we created a lot of good chances. And it was one of those where, even though I was a little bit nervous because we didn't obviously get the result that we needed in the Leon game, I was sat there thinking this is going to come, and mm. it did. So um, yeah, I think it was it was encouraging as well in that it wasn't easy for us, and we you know fought for it, and we still got over the line, and we got the result. Mm. Um, Howard, do you think that we're? Um, I, I feel as though uh, we we tend to around the Champions League have a lot of conversations about cities relationship with the competition yeah. and our relationship as supporters with the competition and also we obviously I had my big rant about uh, officials basically being biased against City <laughs> um, when you kind of remove all the emotion from it is is any of that stuff really relevant I mean it, it, uh, ultimately Leon are a very good team and Hoffenheim are a very good team. So what I'm trying to get at is that when we struggle or when teams cause us problems in Europe, are we a bit too quick to to try and have a meta conversation about you know our relationship with the competition when really we should just be looking at the opposition and and kind of respecting where they come from and what they bring to the game? Yeah. <laughs> no, there is an argument about uh, you know. I said on the the preview show, uh, the review show, sorry, the Hoffenheim game. There is an issue about our relationship with the competition in that we're suited to the league better, and it's just the way you know. We're just I don't know some mentality thing there. Intense. It's hard to define. It's hard to put into words. But yeah, as I also said in the review, I don't 
there's not some chasm anymore that I don't think between just because we've spent three hundred million pounds, I don't think it means anymore that you can just assume that we can go to a place like Hoffenheim and put four past them just because it happened at Basel or, you know, or we thrashed Porto a few years ago. I just these you know, you'd have to look through all the results of the Champions League last twenty years. And I don't I don't think this don't think you'll see many teams like Hoffenheim being thrashed at home. I don't, it's not easy. It was never easy for, say, United during their dominant period. They had to go to a place like this and scrap and usually pick up 1-0 wins or 2-1 wins. And I think when you look back at that match, it was a good 8 out of 10 performance when you consider the appalling first minute. So the 89 minutes after that, I think, was a pretty competent performance. Because they were a team that were going to create the odd chance because they were set up to get at us, and I, yeah, I don't, I, I just don't think that you know as much as we spent. And the, the results this week may be an outlier. Real Madrid losing in Moscow might just be a one-off. They're, they're in a bit of a. I don't think they've scored a goal for five hours, so they've got problems. Not you know as a whole, not just in the Champions League. Uh, so maybe Bayern as well, who aren't top of the table, struggled in the league. I think they've lost three in a row or something like that, or not one in three. So there are teams that have got problems that are not confined to the Champions League. But I do think we may be seeing a more competitive competition for at least a couple of years. I don't mm. think the big, you know, the teams that expected to win the title. Obviously, there will be a PSG at home that could just. Yeah, you know, at home it's probably a different uh, proposition, but going away in Europe has never been easy. And I yeah. think we'll, yeah, I think we've got ahead of ourselves if we think we can just go there and absolutely thrash them. There will be the odd thrashing, but they're the exception to the rule for me. Do you think that um, in a way Hoffenheim's really good practice for Liverpool, Lloyd? It is. I think it's. I don't think obviously they counter attack like Liverpool, but I think. There are pretty much no teams that counter attack like Liverpool when Liverpool are, you know, at a hundred percent. But yeah, I think the definitely the way that they press and the way that off the ball they kind of allow your they allow one or two players to have it, um, which I think was basically our centre backs and John Stones when he came on, but they were kind of regressing at that point. So I think it's yeah, it's, it's really good practice because. You know they were great off the ball. I think all all of us were really impressed with kind of how they, how disciplined they were, but then how also they sprung the trap. And you know Laporte got caught a few times um, once going back to our own goalkeeper, but a few times just being a bit dawdling in possession and playing poor passes. So I think that is probably good prep. I don't think it's great prep for Laporte to be honest, having to play left back. Um, I think he looked really uncomfortable. Probably his worst game since um, well, definitely since his first season. But I think overall, yeah, especially for the likes of Fernandinho and the guys in the middle. Okay. Um, I want to open a can of worms that isn't on the agenda. <laughs> uh Howard, I might even give you a pass on this one, but you can answer it afterwards if you want to. Um, Lloyd, I'm interested in something. So Aguero starts against Hoffenheim after Guardiola says that he's carrying a foot injury. What does that say about where Jesus is at right now? And should this be a concern for us 
Are we getting away with something? Is, is Pep getting away with something here that a lot of other managers wouldn't get away with at City? But because it's Pep, nobody's really talking about it. It is a concern. I think it is it's definitely a concern because I think if the three of us sat here now and we were told that Jesus is going to start up front against Anfield, I wouldn't feel very confident. Yeah, and I know Aguero's. I know Aguero's got a poor record at Anfield, but I think you know City have got a shite record at Anfield. <laughs> so I think the two kind of go hand in hand. Um, and Aguero, you know, it's. I think Aguero's all round game this season has been amazing, and he's he's kind of built on what he's done last season. I actually think he should he should have at least a couple more goals because in some of the games he's had some fantastic chances. Newcastle being one. But I think he's become so important to us. And I think the fact that he plays with this heel injury, which is something that's dogged him. He got a heel injury last season, I think around about kind of early, kind of like early November, December time. Um, so that's obviously a little bit of a problem. And the fact that he plays away to Hoffenheim in the Champions League when we've got Anfield on Sunday, probably the biggest game of the season, I think that's really significant. And it does point towards. Jesus and the fact that you know that, that there clearly is a, a slight lack of confidence in, in Jesus at the moment and if he's staying on the bench when Aguero is as fit as he is as Pep said in the press conference that you know he's taken a check from the doctors and he's pretty much 50-50 at that point and obviously we have to take what Pep says for the truth then it's definitely a concern. Howard how do you feel about the potential pressure that would come to bear on Jesus were Aguero to go down with an injury? Well, I don't know. I'd have to get inside his head for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much what Lloyd... You, what? You mean you can't climb inside the head of a City player and tell us exactly what they're thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Mate? I don't, yeah, I don't know if it... I just don't know if it's confidence or it's just... Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, Lloyd just summed it up perfectly. If we, if we heard that... I mean, Jesus could... There's a positive about him starting against Liverpool, i.e., but not by himself, i.e., his work rate is exactly what is needed against Liverpool. But the fact is, it's just not a big enough goal threat. Obviously, he had one wrongly disallowed against Newcastle, so uh, the goals he could have has scored and could score are just tappings, but you have to be in the right position, I guess. And it's just, yeah, we're just. If, if Gaero had a. Yeah, we've got an international break. I assume he's not been called up for Argentina. Over no, there. So at least we've got that opportunity for him to rest and for that problem to go away, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, it would... Basically, what... Well, I'm not sure we're relying on him totally because this is a team where anyone can score, but it's just as well, to be honest, because if if the, the onus was on you know, Jesus to get the goals, yeah, that would be a pressure, I think, that could break him at, you know, his tender age. He's just, he's still a developing player, as we've said many times, and I just, and at the moment, there's a bit of a gap between him and Aguero. Uh, he's not really moved on in the last year mm. or so, so it's just a case of seeing if that can happen this year. Is it confidence? I've no idea. It, it feels that way, you know, the way a striker strikes a ball cleanly. It feels as though he's not. It doesn't feel natural to him at the moment. At times, he's got. Yeah, he's got to become more of a presence in front of goal, uh, not just close in, but further out. Uh, I don't know what the solution is. It's just 
hope that he he works hard at it, stays fit, of course, because I do think the two injuries have scarred him somewhat. Uh, and, you know, and just becomes more confident on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of feel like it, I wish that um, I wish that we carried another striker in the squad because I don't, you know, I think that at ninety nine percent of the other clubs that Jesus could potentially be at. It wouldn't be an issue if he was taken out of the team for six weeks, eight weeks, because there'd be somebody else. Do you know what I mean? And my only my concern isn't necessarily about Jesus or his development or you know what could happen to him over the next two years. It's just from a very selfish City point of view. I wish we carried another option so that I don't have to worry if Aguero goes down with an injury ten minutes into the game at Anfield that it isn't just a case of. Jesus is the only option that you have here to put on the pitch. You, I kind of wish we carried another option to basically be able to pick and choose when to play him. And I am very surprised that he didn't get to to start against Hoffenheim. I was absolutely convinced that he gets to start oh, against Hoffenheim. No, I had no doubt um, Aguero was starting. The, well, uh, in Hoffenheim? Yeah, for the reasons we've already said, to be honest. Yeah, I agree with he's, Howard. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's I'd, the best I'd say, striker. I take that. I take. I take all of that on board, um, but I guess that it's quite a. It's quite a dramatic fall if you think about it. To go from this is a guy who we were really talking about a year ago, a year and a half ago, kind of going Aguero might be done here. Jesus might be the undisputed number one centre forward at the club, and he was putting in performances that were kind of. You know, I'm not saying that it that it was universal that he kind of usurped Aguero, but certainly there was a feeling that his performances merit that he gets in ahead of Con. So that's quite a dramatic fall if we're now saying that a year, year and a half later, in such a massive week where we have three big games, Aguero has got to play all three of them because we just don't trust Jesus. You, Lloyd, you see the point I'm making here? Absolutely, yeah, and that's that's why it's worrying because when he came in, he was he was like a firecracker, um, and I think like I think Howard Spawn and he said this a few times. I think the injuries have really affected him, but exactly what you put across there is why it's concerning. Mm. That's, that's okay. pretty I much. I still think we got ahead of ourselves with that talk, though. You know, he was, totally. He's been talked up in Brazil as well as the future. And yeah, we did. Really, yeah. I was totally. I was, you know, I was basing all this on what people were saying rather than what I was seeing. Uh, because yeah, he was doing well, but I didn't see something. You know, I wasn't seeing like, oh my god, this you know, this is the future of our football club. He was never that good. Uh, he just seemed like, yeah, we picked up this guy very cheap by current rates. You know, twenty-seven million. That's ridiculous. Uh, doesn't even get you a Benteke nowadays. Well, <laughs> it might get you the current Benteke, but yeah, he was young. We didn't really know anything about him, and he was yeah. We thought, oh my god, we've we found an absolute gem here, but it wasn't putting in messy like performances. We just we were looking to the future, and I think we were mm. getting ahead of ourselves. In Brazil, he was talked about. He was, or, you know, he's already been named captain at least once, hasn't he? He was talked about as a future. He's getting the national side, and it was like, yeah, I think we, was, I think we all got a bit over giddy, you know, including myself, and that bit over giddy, and we needed to temper that. That doesn't change the fact that he has still gone backwards, it regressed a bit in the last year, so. Uh, personally, after the other striker, I never, I don't, I never understood why we didn't get David Villa, rather, you know, as a just a as a backup striker, because mm. I just think he's class and would have been 
you know, just someone to to use here and there. Do you think we need to? Do you think we need one other player to take the pressure off of him, or, or am I completely off my head in thinking that we should carry another striker? Well, we can't carry another striker. We can't just go out and buy one of the world's best strikers because yeah. You know, no, but that's not what I'm. Ta- that's not what I'm talking about. And I think it's really take pressure off with- him. What by yeah, not playing pressure. him? Well, <laughs> this is what you're saying. If you get someone else, he plays less. So I don't know if he's feeling the pressure. I don't know if that would make any difference to him. It might make him worse because he'll get even uh, well, let's less take, game well, time. So, well, uh, for me, it's about taking the pressure off yeah. the squad as a whole in terms of going well. You know, if there is another option, then that makes it a little bit easier to to. Rest easy if Aguero's got a knock and you need to bring somebody in. I mean, the real keep coming back to it, but and this is this is all on Pep in the sense that you can't say Aguero's carrying an injury is 50-50 for a game. Yeah. You know you've got Anfield coming up at the weekend and then Jesus doesn't get off the bench. I mean That's just mind games that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. There's um, no room though. I mean, once Mares comes in, in that the the attacking section of the squad, I'm not sure there's there's really room for any more players. Yeah, I don't even know. Lloyd, have you got any idea of where we're at in terms of foreign squad bodies? Yeah, we got one. We got one spot left. Got one space. We didn't get Jorginho. Right. So there is. Well, yeah, but that space will obviously go to a centre midfield player. So. Yeah, it would. But it's a get rid of Bravo situation. Ah, yes, um, of course. That's 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 how you free up the extra spot. Yeah, fair shout. Um, okay, enough about Jesus. Um, before we talk about City Liverpool, uh, we're going to talk about Southampton Chelsea. I know, I know, you all want us to laugh at United because they're playing Newcastle and they could lose, but we'll 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 save that for when Mourinho actually goes. Um, Southampton Chelsea this weekend, Lloyd. You saw Chelsea on Thursday night, and uh, Chelsea played Liverpool last weekend as well. How are they? How are they shaping up? How's Sarri done so far? Where are they at in terms of their kind of evolution or development? I think Sarri's done really, really well. I think they're ahead probably of where you'd expect them to be. I think the fact that they're on, um, I think it's 17 points in the league, uh, which is five, I think they've won five, drawn two, is really good. They've obviously knocked, they've knocked Liverpool out of the Carabao and they've got two wins from two in the Europa League, so I think they're they're ahead of where I think they where people would expect them to be in terms of results. But I also think in the level of football that Sarri has been able to implement, I think they're way ahead. I think the fact that he's managed to get his style in there so quickly is incredibly impressive. I mean, they've been rivaling us for pass pass completion and passes, and the way that they're just dominating um, the the poor teams. I mean that Newcastle game. I think Jorginho set the new, set the new record. I think he's obviously been a massive part of that. That Sarri's been able to bring someone in from his Napoli team to be that metronome has made a massive difference. I think the only thing, I think there are a couple of things with Chelsea uh, for me. The first one is that they're massively over reliant on Hazard, but whilst Hazard is as good as he is and he's fit, I don't think that's that much of an issue because he's on a different level at the moment. He's playing. I think he's he's on that De Bruyne level last season uh, at the moment. Some of the stuff that he's doing and the regularity with which he's producing moments and goals, 
Um, I think they've got an issue because they've got Giroud and Morata up front. Um, Morata, who last night against VideoNet was just awful and has been so poor for them for the last kind of 12 months, really. And he's just, oh, he's such a frustrating player. He moans so much at the referee when someone like bumps into him or whatever. I just don't think he's made out for English football's Brexit, as that sounds. Um, <laughs> Go back to where you've come from, Morata. Yeah, go back. Um, and then I think the other, their other big problem is that as good as their midfield is in Jorginho, Kante and Kovacic, they just massively lack goals uh, in midfield. And they, they're going to have a choice between, I think it sounds like they might be dropping Kante, which obviously sounds ridiculous, but Kante's been moved to play in kind of what is a, a kind of a bit of a, eight, a number eight position that De Bruyne are in. Silver playing, but I don't think it's as, it's not as advanced. Um, and obviously, you know, he's not got he's not got the game for that, unashamedly, um, from his perspective. So I think they've got a few issues. I think centre backs also a little bit of an issue, but I think the way that they're trending um, is very positive for Chelsea. I think they look like a serious serious side under Sarri. And if they can add a few next summer, then and keep Hazard, then I think they could be really dangerous. But obviously, there's a few ifs and buts there. Do you think that the um, do you think that the performance against Liverpool last weekend um, was maybe the kind of statement that Chelsea are ready to challenge for the title this season? Yeah, I think it was. I think I think it's clear that they're they're going to they're going to be in and around. I think Liverpool will probably run us closer, but I think they I think Chelsea will have serious stickability that they're not going to I don't think they're going to fold I think their, their only problem is going to come around about December January if they continue to do what they did last night which was play a very strong team I was so surprised at the team that they played they played they started with Kovacic and uh, Pedro and Willian um, against Videonet who are some Hungarian farmers and uh, that's I think if that if Sarri continues to do that, then they might have problems in terms of injuries and with the squad. But as things stand, I think they definitely look well equipped to to challenge at least. Excellent. I would agree with that. I, I think that they have mm. um they've shown I mean I, I, I rate Sarri and I think that he's shown in this first part of the season. I mean uh, there's a long season ahead, so it all could fall apart at any point, and that's the big caveat. But as it stands right now, I don't see why they can't challenge for the title because I feel as though the bottom 13, 14 teams in this league, I think I think Chelsea are going to flat trap them home and away. And I think that that's the key to being a top four stroke title challenging side is making sure that, you know, from eighth place downwards, whether you play them home or away, you dispatch them. And I think he's got just about enough goals in that side, even with Morata being awful, just by the virtue of having Hazard there, um, and enough stability in the defence that that they might just uh, be able to do that. Um, Howard, yeah, Southampton. They just say Sarri needs to get into vaping as well. <laughs> so, he's still chewing cigarettes. Well, we won't be there very long. He's so weird. You won't have time to <laughs> oh, change Chelsea if it, yeah. He's eating cigarettes on the touchline. Oh, that's just mental. Man. Yeah, Absolutely that's just my personal mental. view. So, yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, now, I'm going to ask you a question: Is 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 Mark Hughes like? Is he? Is there any point to him being a, a football manager? These days? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
No, well, it's just what it's just it's just there, isn't it? <laughs> it put, it puts a team out. They do for what you know for the standard of players they have. They are six and a half out of ten performances. Is nothing special whatsoever. He doesn't have a history of saving teams. You know, like someone like Allardyce, who at least firefights. You know, that's his thing really now. Into Allardyce, he'll come in and show your defence up a bit and then everything will go wrong after that. Hughes is just there. He's just he's just a person on the touchline, puts a team out, blames everyone but himself in the post-match press conference. He's exactly what we thought he was when we got rid of him. He's, he's an average manager. And that's all there is. There's just very little else there. He's not a great manager. He's not... He doesn't specialise in, you know, like Warnock, who we we may hate, but he's a brilliant championship manager. He's brilliant on a on a shoestring budget, getting teams, you know, us against them, getting them into the Premier League. Then, of course, he struggles. All these other managers who we, you know, bemoan keep getting jobs. They at least have their own little niche area that they're good at. Hughes doesn't. He's just. He's not a terrible manager. He's just not anything particular that makes me, if I was an owner of a club, there's no reason why I think, let's get Mark Hughes in. Mm. There's nothing about him that says he'll bring better times to this club. They play okay, they create a few chances, they concede. Yeah, there's no, there's no style of play or ethos about the teams. They're just, they just exist. There's, yeah, there's no lights. There's no identity to what he does for me. Uh, yeah. Obviously, getting rid of him was a perfectly acceptable decision for us. However, it was handled. Don't really care. <laughs> we just—I <it, laughs> don't. Yeah, it was a lot of lies about how it was handled anyway. And yeah, I just—he's just one of those. He'll keep getting jobs, and he'll keep, and there'll be jobs with either teams near the bottom of the Premier League or nothing because he'll—I assume he thinks he's far too good to manage in the Championship. But he isn't. He's, he might be better suited there. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> Lloyd, is, is there anything else that could be added to him? Uh, no, I mean, I, I just, I, I, I've got no time for Mark Hughes whatsoever. Um, and th- uh, this next question, I think, be interested to see what you think, Lloyd. Are you surprised that, that Southampton went for Hughes and have kept Hughes? Because they... Seemed yes. to they went through this period where they obviously had a very good record with managers and also with recruitment, and it all seemed geared towards. They seem like a club with a lot of foresight. I guess that's the best way of describing the way that they were run. And Mark Hughes, to me, is the very antithesis of a football club having any foresight. Is am I being unfair on him and being unfair on Southampton somehow? No, Mark Hughes is way past his sell by date. Mm. Like some stale milk in the fridge. <laughs> um, no, I think we, you've, there's been a trend, I think now towards modern, more progressive managers, and I think with good reason. And we've seen, you know, there are so many examples. There are good examples in the league at the moment um, of you know people playing progressive football, and you see what like Javi Grassi is doing at, at Watford and obviously you've got like Nagelsmann is a good example from last night, but there are there are there are shed loads. I think it is it is surprising because Southampton is so well run and it was kind of a similar thing with Swansea when they started to go away from their 
from their ethos that was ultimately their downfall because that's why they got into the league in the first place and I think that's why Southampton have have flirted with relegation I think obviously they got it wrong um, with Pellegrini sorry Pellegrino um, and when you do have a model like that it is very finely balanced if you make a few poor signings after selling your Van Dykes and your Lallanas and etc then obviously you're going to have a big downturn but I think fundamentally you should always stick with that with that kind of brand and that ethos that's made you what you are and got you into the Prem. So to go away from that is a bit disappointing, I would say, because I've always quite enjoyed Southampton. And now, yeah, they just, as Howard said, they're just five out of ten, six out of ten every week and not a good watch. Uh, yeah, and he has kept teams up. He obviously did the QPR game, he kept them up. But to be honest, if Bolton had been robbed in the other game that day, that have gone down, uh, and he kept Southampton up last season. But you know they lost about four in the row towards the end of that season. It's but then you know there's, there's something in him because he got two vital wins against Bournemouth and Swansea, uh, and they were okay against us on that last day. But you know I don't, I don't think it's anything special management. I, I just think they, they they get over the line with him, and yeah, there's a. I don't know. Just he'll keep getting jobs like this. That's the problem, though, isn't it? It's just. Well, we'll see. I mean, I I think just to to wrap up on this, do you think that Southampton will get anything out of Chelsea this weekend, Howard? No, I've got a double bet. Uh, it's thirty to one, I think, of uh, Southampton to be relegated and Middlesbrough to be promoted. So, <laughs> I'm a, uh, I'm. I'm cheering on everyone they play this season. <laughs> Sorry, Southampton, but a bet's a bet. So, but yeah, no, so I mean, Chelsea should. Chelsea will dominate the ball again. You know, as Lloyd said, that their players have started appearing at the. I think they've got the top five in the passing stats now. Or five of the top eight, anyway. Uh, they'll dominate the ball, and that's a big problem for Southampton uh, because they just concede chances far too easily. Yep. Lloyd, do you think that Southampton can get anything out of Chelsea this weekend? No, nah, let's talk about Liverpool. City. <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah. tell you, how it, I'll tell you how it goes. It'll be nil nil. They'll get one about thirty-five minutes Chelsea, then they'll get another couple in the second half, and it'll be three nil. So nice. You heard it Very here nice. first. Hopefully, that's first. cursed them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about um, the small matter of uh, City going to Anfield on Sunday. Um, I did a pod with Sam yesterday we tried to kind of look at the start of the season that Liverpool and City have had Lloyd how are you feeling about where Liverpool are at right now are they are they as good as they were last season that's the, the question that I posed to Sam so I'll pose it to you I think overall they're better but they're better in a slightly different way that makes sense so I think they're much better at the back I think Gomez is a massive find for them because he looks a serious serious player and whilst there's a lot of furore around Van Dijk and I think to be fair a lot of it is justified I think he has looked very very good um, physically he's a bit of a monster but on the ball he's you know he's excellent as well obviously Robertson has kind of within I mean, I think Robertson's rise has been pretty amazing. Within nine months, he's developed into a Champions League quality left-back. I think this, the same can kind of be said of Alexander-Arnold, even though I think he's still got naivety to his game. 
And then obviously they've, I don't think we've seen Alisson tested yet, to be honest, but he's a massive upgrade on Carrius. So that is obviously a huge plus for them, a big tick in the, in the box. And then I think the other thing that's been, that's been positive for them is that their midfield players, mainly Wijnaldum and Milner have kind of gone up a level because of the players that they've signed. That's a really big plus for Liverpool. Um, I think the, the the thing that they had last year is that their their first eleven was firing on all cylinders and they were so dangerous when they had those eleven on the pitch, but they didn't have a bench and when one of them got injured or when they had to rotate, which is what they had to do towards the end of the season in the Premier League when they were chasing the Champions League, they just didn't have the players. Whereas now they've got storage back fit and obviously scoring goals. They brought Shakiri in to add a bit of depth. They've brought Cater in which has obviously added depth and kind of upped everybody else's level. So in those aspects, I think they're a lot stronger. I think going forward, they look pretty rubbish. I think in their last three games, they've looked really toothless. Salah has been awful. Um, kind of like Salah at Roma, but even worse in terms of his shooting. He's been blazing it you know, really far wide regularly and missing sitters, which is something, as Sam said, that he did do last season, but missing more sitters. And Mane hasn't scored in six and uh, Firmino since that goal against PSG has been pretty quiet. So I think overall they're stronger, but I think for us, the one thing that we really struggled with was that ridiculous intensity that they had in attack and the transition. And that doesn't seem to be there at the moment. And I know knowing Liverpool and going to Anfield, (laughs) obviously it'll come back on Sunday because why wouldn't it? But as things stand, I think, you know they're coming off three poor results, and I think you know we couldn't be really better placed at the moment in that sense. Okay, mm. um, Howard, the fact that Salah isn't flying the way he was flying last season—I'm going to posit a theory. Salah was really the the difference maker in all of those games. Yeah. That he was he was an absolute dawn in in City's side to the I'm not gonna say single handedly won those games for Liverpool because Oxlade Chamberlain scores some some big goals. But Salah's the thorn, I believe, in our defence's side. Um do you think that him going into the game it, I've seen two sides basically. I've seen the side that says he's scoring at trick this weekend and he finds <laughs> his form again because he's playing City. And then there's the optimist inside me that's going we shouldn't be as pessimistic as we are being because, as Lloyd says, defensively they are stronger and they do have more stability than they had last season. But equally, they're just not the attacking force that they were last season. Before I answer, what did Sam, as a, a neutral, so to speak, an outsider, did he deposit a theory on how he thinks the game will go? As I've, I've not yet listened to your podcast yesterday. No, I think that... I think that only a fool is going to try and predict how the game on Sunday will actually play out. I think what he did say um, was that he certainly felt that Liverpool weren't... uh, The the question that I asked him actually was, um, are City and Liverpool better than they were last season? The same as they were last season or a little bit below what they were last season? Um, And... I'll let you answer the yeah, flat yeah. No, the, re- the reason I, I asked that question back is I think if a neutral would say City can win this, whereas we as City fans go, uh, 
here we go again. <laughs> Same oh. old set. But, you know, in the lead-up, I mean, yeah, Liverpool aren't one in three, but there were three damn tough games. I don't think we take much off a Carabao Cup performance, uh, but there were two tough games. Away Chelsea, away at Napoli is not easy, but there was still, I think people thought they'd go to Napoli and win, uh, and they were outplayed. And I, yes, yeah, Salah, I, yes, of course he made a difference. That, you know, when you get that many goals in one season, how can that not be the most important thing? But I still think Mane and Firmino are just as dangerous, to be honest. I don't think, don't think if you negate Salah or if he goes off form, then suddenly everything falls apart for Liverpool. There was an interesting, I listened to, a, sorry for listening to a different podcast the other day. I think the Totally Football one. And, Lindsay Hooper made a comment that sounds ridiculous on the surface, but I kind of, I see where it's just coming from. I kind of like it. In that last season, they, they only had a, a first 11. There was very little depth whatsoever. And I think knowing that and the stability, and you know I go on about stability all the time, of that first 11 staying the same and not having many injuries, that's what gave them many of the performances. And by be, having a better squad, they undoubtedly got a stronger squad this season than last season. But it seems to have unsettled the play because they're definitely not playing as well as they should be at the moment. Obviously, that could go out the window within three minutes on Sunday. <laughs> and it's because it's because they've got choice that somehow maybe that's in a perverse way uh, created problems for them because Klopp doesn't know which it doesn't have an obvious eleven to put out every week, especially with Milner playing better than Evan and Winaldo Mio playing how he should have you know, always played. And it's just, yeah, he's got more decisions to make. And it's those decisions, as we see with Guardiola occasionally, that can be you undoing. When, if you overthink things, you start trying different things and playing players out of position. Uh, they're not, they're not, or not, you're firing on all cylinders at the moment. This is an opportunity for City, but it depends. Do we shoot ourselves in the foot? And make it easy for them again on Sunday. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Napoli. I didn't. I had Napoli on in the background along with Spurs, but I heard. I don't know if anyone watched it or that they played a five-three-two or three-five-two. Sorry, they did, and they completely dominated the flanks and outnumbered Liverpool. Well, Liverpool just had nothing on the counter attack, and Napoli managed to dominate large portions of the game but, and large portions of the yeah, football. But we know how how dangerous they can be down the flanks and if you outnumber them there it's a hope you know certainly something that Pep will be thinking about mm. um, Lloyd do you do you put any weight to that theory that maybe you know for example I think it's fair to say that Salah has been substituted for Shakiri a few times and not necessarily in the 85th minute because he's had a cracking game but 60 65 70 75 do you think that's going to get inside his head yeah, I think it. I think it probably will. Reason being is because I think Carragher pointed this out. He's given away. A, the reason he's been substituted is because he's given away a few goals for them by slack, um, slack play, giving the ball away, and just kind of generally being not what he was last season, which was like electric and every everything that he did, he did with purpose. This season, I think. I don't know. I think it was always going to happen. Um, and I think he was so, so good last season that it was, you know, he was bordering on kind of Messi-Ronaldo levels last season in kind of February, March kind of time. But it was always going to happen. And I think 
you know, I think it's a big call to say, but I do think this is him reverting to a sort of mean. I think his mean will still be very good in that it will be, as Sam said, I completely agree. I think in that in that Liverpool team, you know, once they do get going again, he's going to score a lot of goals. I think he'll probably have similar numbers to kind of Raheem or something, but I don't think he's as good as he showed last season. He's not that 40-goal-a-season player. Um, but yeah, I do think he'll he'll have been rocked because he's been substituted in, in the big games and he's given away those goals. So he's clearly, you know, Klopp's clearly, you know, unhappy with that. So I should say, Positive. yeah, I don't, I don't think he started last season on fire, which is, <laughs> makes his stats all the more amazing. But, you know, Salah, unless you're Messi or Ronaldo, then it has to, you know, last season has to be an outlier because you can't do that every season. Yeah. Even Kane's not going to. I don't think he's always going to hit those figures, uh, you know, that he he has in these best seasons. And I just yeah, even the mean thing, as Lloyd says, would still be twenty five goals or so. He was actually substituted quite a lot last season, but then in different circumstances, having exactly. having you know done his job, so to speak. I don't know if there's yeah. an issue. Maybe he's one of those players where you say run your heart out for uh, Spurs. I can't remember which player Spurs had that. Always substituted because he just ran so hard for sixty minutes. You know, like try and do damage in sixty minutes will definitely take you off. So you know that you don't have to do ninety minutes. And I don't know if there's an energy problem with him, but yeah, it's he's been substituted in very different circumstances and in bigger games at the moment. But mm. but he's still got the basic tenets are there. It's just it's the it's only the finishing. But strikers are like that, aren't they? Once once on a purple patch, once it feels natural to them, there's no stopping them. And bizarre, you know, like uh, a shoulder injury did for Negredo for us. I still wonder how much all the harping on about that uh, shoulder injury for him is still affecting him. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, 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 he scored so many unbelievable goals last season that it was almost inhuman and it was Messi-Ronaldo levels. And now you kind of look at him this season and you go, he's human. He's not Messi-Ronaldo levels. He's a wide forward. A good one. Very good one at times. But, you know, it's not that God-given natural talent just isn't at the level that maybe people thought um, with some of the goals that he scored last season. Right, anyway, enough about Scousers. I want to talk about City. Um, Question for both of you. Jack Pitbrook has written a piece this morning about whether maybe Klopp has managed to get inside Guardiola's head much more than any other manager. Um, Lloyd, do you think that the smartest thing that Pep can do on Sunday is keep it simple? Yes, <laughs> please. Yes, please, please. Um, I think it's so it's it's oh, it's difficult with Guardiola because he's so good that. You know, as fans or more as journalists, you need to find a way to criticise and you need to find a niche and kind of carve out something and, and, you know, have that critical element as well to your analysis or your journalism. But the big criticism of Pep for me last season was that in the big games, away at Arsenal, um, at Arsenal in the the Carabao Cup, in the Liverpool games, just tried to overcomplicate it. Playing Gundogan, playing four midfielders, trying to set up in a full 4 2 I think fundamentally the best thing City can do on Sunday is play what we think is our best and most dangerous team 
I think we can have a debate about what that is. But for me, that has to have both Sterling and Sane in the team. We need to go at Liverpool and back ourselves, ultimately, to score more goals than them because that's, that is the way that we're going to beat them. Um, and I think fiddling around and trying to come up with bespoke, bespoke kind of strategies and solutions to particular games, um, I think sometimes is Pep overcomplicating it. And we've seen it before with him in the Champions League with Bayern. I think that, yeah, the, the, the best thing he can do is play it simple, put the team out that, that flat tracks everybody else. You know, maybe with some tactical work, I'm sure there'll be you know a lot of detailed tactical work. But in terms of personnel, I'd be really, really disappointed if um, if we, if say Sterling's on the bench or Sane's on the bench, and you know it's a it's a it's a weird one. That would be frustrating. He's got to got to keep it simple. I mean, in that Amazon documentary, of course, it we were away to Everton before Champions League, uh, and yeah, you know, there's a clip of him discussing Liverpool and how he's worried about the front three. So it showed that, you know, even he was preparing for the game before and he was still thinking about it, which is Pep all over. I mean, Klopp obviously has got in his head. He's probably the only one who has because, you know, just look at their record together. Uh, I think that Amazon clip was a highlight of Liverpool fan season, judging by the Twitter reaction to it. Uh, Can I ask you, Asan or Lloyd... Were we that bad at Anfield last season? Because it was one all at... Did Pep get it wrong, should I ask? Sorry, in the league. It was one all at half-time. No, I and mean... the I first don't... half was fine. Uh, I mean, not brilliant, but it was pretty close. It was short on chances. We negated them quite a lot. The problem was that 10, minute, 10 minutes of madness, and I don't know if you blame the players for that or you blame Guardiola for that. So No, I mean, I, look, I... Uh, I was lucky enough to have a conversation with Marty Perrinow this week um, about how he thinks um, Pep will be preparing the team this week. And fundamentally, Marty's point of view, which I suspect is pretty close to Pep's point of view, um, is that what City needs to do better is individually and collectively emotionally manage the game. Mm. It's that simple. That It doesn't really matter. Mar- Marty basically said to me, it doesn't matter if it's 4-3-3 or it's 3-4-3 or the, the formation doesn't matter. The team selection doesn't matter, whether it's Mendy or it's Zinchenko or it's Laporte. All of those things don't matter as much as City individually and collectively emotionally managing the game. Um, so I think if you look back at whether Guardiola made mistakes, I mean, I don't think Gundogan playing... Uh, in the Champions League worked. Uh, I think that taking Raz out of that team was a mistake. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I think that Pep blinked, particularly in the Champions League. I think he blinked and he didn't need to. I think he should have gone with his 4-3-3, gone with what he knew and what he trusted. Um, And that's why I'm hopeful that on Sunday... He will just go with what he knows and what he trusts. And because of that, the players will go into the game with a little bit more confidence that even if maybe... Look, the reality is that Liverpool, you expect them at Anfield to score a goal no matter who they play. So the onus is on you to score more than them. And I think that if you take one of your best attacking players out and you stick Gundogan in there, then you're almost saying to your lads, 
I don't know if we can outscore them here. So maybe we need to do this differently. And I don't think that works. Taking even half a step back for this City team. I've been saying it for years, man. This City team can't take half a step back. They need to play on the front foot at all times. Yeah. And so for me, Sunday is very much, uh, uh, forget about last season. Sunday is a case of going, who's in form right now? Sterling, Sane, Aguero, without question, those three, front three, bang, sorted. Who's in form in centre mid? Fernandinho's got to play the two silvers, bang, sorted. The only question marks left are who you're playing the back four, but ultimately, whoever you're playing the back four, you're going there to outscore Liverpool. That's my point of view mm-hmm. anyway. Lloyd? <clears throat> I completely agree. Absolutely nailed it for me. Um yeah, bang on. I, I, and the only the only thing I would add is that um, I think it's just important that Pep gives the players clarity tomorrow. I yeah. think as much as it's about giving them confidence, it's about giving them clarity. And I think sometimes when I didn't really have as much of a problem with the league game, I think the the thing that the game that really pissed me off was the Champions League game yeah. because of what happened in the league game because of that ten minutes of madness. For those then to play like that and approach it like that was why it was disappointing. And I think, as you said, to bring Gundogan in and get rid of Sterling, who was basically one of your best three players at that point in the season, it doesn't give clarity to the players and it leaves them thinking, I don't know about this. I don't know why he's done this. It's a bit, bit strange. You know, it's checking what we've done. So, yeah, completely agree. I think we, we need to go with that as the front six and then... Yeah, the defence, it, you know, it's not going to be great, but we've got to go with, go and basically bank on the front six being good enough that hopefully the back four won't be an issue. Yep, spot on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I just think that um, I, I, for me, when you, I know that Guardiola thinks that he feels that he made a mistake in the in the Champions League game at Anfield. Now, I don't think he'll ever go as far as to say that he feels that he was wrong in the selection that he made or in, in selecting Gundogan or in trying to change the state. But I know privately he's acknowledged to his coaching staff that he, he, he feels that he, he screwed that game up. Um, so for that reason, I have confidence that come Sunday, whatever he does will be it'll be within the framework of what we always do. So even if we go with three at the back, we played with three at the back against Huddersfield and that was not a defensive formation. That was a formation that annihilated them and that was all about controlling the football and and controlling the possession and also being a threat in attack. So even if he goes with three at the back, I don't necessarily think that that's sending mixed messages to your side as long as the complement of attacking players is there. And I feel confident that the uh, the complement of attacking players will be there. Um, okay, I want to wrap up, but I want to wrap up with both your thoughts on what's going on with Benjamin Mendy right now. Um, or maybe, Howard, I think me and you have talked about this already, so maybe if you don't want to talk about it again, Lloyd, you... Where where's your head at with Mendy right now? Do you think that there's a game being played? Do you think he's injured? Do you think there's a game being played? Are you concerned? I am concerned. I think anyone is right to be concerned. I've been the one thing though. I've been a bit. I've been a bit perplexed at some people's reactions towards Sam and towards Mark Ogden for breaking the story and for you know basically telling what I think is the truth. I think he is injured. I think he's clearly been pissing around. Um, 
he's basically been taking the piss, I think. I think it's pr- pretty obvious. And he got too used last season to basically being like a social media phenomenon, like City's cheerleader, basically. And he's not got his head down and not kind of got back into doing his job, which is being a footballer. And, you know, I don't... I, I know a lot of people have a go at footballs having it easy, but it's not that difficult to turn up, you know, on time for training and just be... Make make sure you're there for all the meetings and not be three hours late when you've got got um, got a bad injury that needs recovery. So I think he's got absolutely no excuses. I imagine he's on very thin ground. Um, I noticed he's been on he's been on like a, he's not been on social media for the last ten days, but I think he was doing more stuff last night again. Um, yeah, it's a massive concern because players like Benjamin Mendy are very few and far between, and it cost us fifty five million to get him. So. If if he were to leave and we had to get someone else, it would be a huge issue for the squad. Um I'm still hopeful he'll come back in. I think I think, you know, we'll find out to, later today whether in Pep's press conference whether he is gonna be available. Um but it's it's a big concern. I imagine he's on pretty thin ice. Mm. Um Howard do you want to do you want to do you want to add anything to the to the Mendy conversation? No. Or would you prefer to give me your uh, your starting eleven for Anfield? Oh Jesus. Uh neither. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lloyd, give me your starting eleven for Anfield. I'm writing it down um, as we speak. That's all right. Okay, so the front six that, that you said, so Sane, Aguero, Sterling, Silva, Silva, Fernandinho. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, so I'm fine with that. So we can just discuss defense, the back four, can't we? Okay. So I would, I would go Walker, obviously. Yeah. I would then, I would play Stones, Laporte, because I don't want to see Otamendi near that pitch um, on Sunday because these are the kind of games that he struggles in. Um, he has his, the brain dead moments come back, and also in possession, he just often does something weird. I know Stones does as well, but I would back Stones over Otamendi. So I'd go Stones, Laporte, and I would play Danilo. I know that's not probably a popular shout. Zinchenko scares me too much because he's about as fast as me. And (laughs) Salah is a lot quicker than me and Zinchenko. So I would play Danilo despite the lack of football. But yeah, that would be my back four. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Howard, would you go along with that? (sighs) All apart from that bloody left back spot, I can't call it. I can't. Lloyd's yeah, surmised. I just can't see him playing Danilo after so little football on on the opposite okay. flank. Uh, the only thing you do, obviously, Laporte stays close to him on that left side. Uh, but I think it'll be Zinchenko. He can't go with what he did against Hoffenheim, surely. No. Uh, and oh God, I still, he can't play the my hunches, there. though I agree with Lloyd, my hunch is that Otamendi does start. I don't understand, you know, Stones, I don't know why he's not been getting starts, but uh, otherwise, yeah, I've literally nothing to add to. Lloyd's surmised it perfectly, but I've no idea what will happen at left-back or what should happen. Uh, Danilo, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I rate him a bit more. I don't think he's amazing, but I think no, he's, no, I think no, he's no, solid no, no. enough. To play in a game like this, I don't have a problem with him being on a pitch. I'm, 
I'm not having that. There's no way that Danilo. Oh no, I, d- I do not think it's not, Having not at kicked all, a ball for, for 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 a few weeks, or certainly since what was it, the League Cup game, whatever it is. Nah, I'm not having Danilo. I'm going to stick with the team actually that I picked in the pod that I did with Sam yesterday, which is kind of contrary to what I said earlier. But okay, I'm constantly contradicting myself. It's not a big deal. Um, so my team would be three four three ish. So it'd be. Edison and then the back three would be Company, Stones, Laporte. Uh, I'd play Walker on the right and Leroy on the left as a wing back. I'd play Fernandinho and the two Silvers and then I'd have Sterling rather than playing on the right. I'd have him playing off of Aguero, move him centrally um, and then have that kind of try and dominate the game in the middle by having the two Silvers, Fernandinho and Raz. Um, yeah. That's 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 the way. That's the team that I will pick anyway. So it will be be very interesting to see what he does pick. Uh, okay, that was uh, that was Ace. That Lloyd. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ace. Howard. Thank you very much. Pleasure as always. To everybody who listened, thank you very much. This was the Friday show on the Night Three Twenty podcast. Uh, we'll be back after the Liverpool game with a review on the Night Three Twenty player which is our membership service. If you've not signed up, head over to 9320.com and sign up. It's only £4 a month and you get tons of content just like this podcast today. So yeah, thanks for listening. Have a lovely weekend and up the blues.